All right. Welcome back. We've made it to episode four. Honestly, the, I saw a statistic. I don't know where I saw this, but I saw it somewhere that most podcasts, like I think it's like 95% of podcasts don't get, make it past like episode 13 or something. So, hey, man, we're like a quarter of the way there to being better than 90% of these people. And consistency is uh, it's what we strive for here. We try to get our episodes out 12 p.m. every Wednesday. Yeah, we'd love to see it, man. We're on track. We'd love to see it. We're always on track, unless we're not on track like we were in week two, but we don't talk about that. Um, welcome back, everybody. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Um, we're here the week before Toronto Regionals, and we're joined by a very, very special guest today. Um, I think, Kieran, I think, Kieran, I think you can frame him better than I can. Go ahead. Yeah. All right. Thank you. So we have an all-time great Canadian player, a Canadian legend. He is a Toronto Regional Champion. He is also the last ever Canadian national champion. Please welcome Mr. Simon Luong. Simon, thanks for joining us today. No, no, thank you guys for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure being on this podcast. I've been listening for the first, uh, what, three episodes so far. Great content. Keep up the good job, guys. Thank you, thank you. Do you mind uh, just giving a quick introduction about yourself, maybe where you're from, some achievements, uh, your favorite decks? Sure. Uh, my name's Simon Luong. I've been playing the TCG since uh, 2010, when I think Carcold Soul Silver came out. Um, I stopped in 2016 and only started playing again recently. Uh, some of my accomplishments include winning national championships in 2016. I'm a former Toronto regional champion. I'm a former provincial champion, and I've had like several several top cuts in regionals, top four in Fort Wayne regionals in 2015, Virginia top four in uh, 2015 as well. Some some top cuts here and there, but uh, I've, I've realized that I have not won an American event yet. So that's something that, you know, a, a, sl- a small goal that I'll have moving forward for the rest of the season. Nice. I mean, Canadians have been uh, stealing those American events, so <laughs> hopefully, yeah, hopefully it's my <laughs> turn. Yeah, hopefully it's your turn. So. I was gonna say good luck changing that this weekend. <laughs> I might have to wait about a month, but well, this is a Canadian yeah, event, good to have a good so one. yeah, we got to defend uh, home turf, home court, yeah, home court, baby, home court. Um, yeah, yeah, like Karen said, thank you so much for joining us, man. Uh, at the end of the day, I think people are gonna get sick of hearing Karen and I at some point, so that's why we have you guys on. Um, <laughs> we're so today we're gonna, uh, like I said, we're a few days out from Toronto Regionals here. On the day of recording, it is Tuesday. Regionals is on Saturday, so we're looking at three or four days before for go time. So just a little outline today, we'll take, we'll take you through what we think we're going to see at Toronto regionals this weekend, helping, um, helping you kind of figure out what your play should be, what, uh, maybe you might see a bit more than you expected and, and all sorts of stuff like that. We're going to go over Lille a little bit, the regionals that happened this past weekend. And then, uh, prior to coming on air, we asked, Hey, do, did any of you test paradox rift yet? And we all said no. So I think we might save that for next week. Just, uh, in the interest of producing quality content and not just talking about iron hands for 50 minutes. So uh, we will touch on that a little bit. I hope you guys have had good luck at your pre-releases. I have not had a chance to go to one yet. Have you two had a chance? Uh, I normally don't do pre-releases. Like they're negative EV with money, but uh, I'll be ordering the cards as soon as they come out. Me on the other hand, I love pre-releases. I think, uh, I I don't know, it's in my blood. I love uh, the thrill of opening packs, the thrill of, of randomization. So I've, I've got three kits, and unfortunately, I did not hit anything good. Nice. I mean, I Damn. 
I did my last like proper pre-release was probably like Boundaries Crossed or something, and then Simon like convinced me to do like a Paldea Evolve pre-release, and like I pulled nothing, and he pulled like Secret Rare Gem Pal like twice or something. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done with pre-releases. Bro, pre-releases are so much fun when you like pull the sickest card in the set and you think it's so cool, and then the next week it's like fifteen dollars. Yep. It's so much fun until release day. But yeah, like I, I think they're I think I agree with you to an extent. I think the E V is awful. But if you pull something cool and you have like a buyer right there who's just itching, you're looking at the most positive E V the the game can offer you. That is true. It is also just fun, I think, for a lot of people. Like I know I was talking to one of my friends, he just likes like building like decks that aren't meta, like the deck building aspect of it. It's almost like playing like arena in Hearthstone or something like that. So it is fun. Like uh, I won't deny that. Yeah. So exactly. maybe I should start going again. Definitely yeah, there's definitely merit to building jank. I think it's a, I think it's a great uh, starting point for everyone because uh, I feel essentially everyone has uh, the same starting point when you come when it comes to a pre-release. You have this pre-built deck. You have minimal modifications you can make. So it gets back to like the grassroots of Pokemon where you slowly evolve, you slowly draw cards. You don't have any overpowered effects. So it just gets back down to the the, the base roots of the game, and then you can just enjoy it for what it is draw a, a trading card game where you just draw a card slowly evolving your pokemon up slowly charging them up and doing big damage yeah bro like there it's fun until you're like beating down your opponent for tackle for 10 <laughs> for like seven turns yeah <laughs> i mean <laughs> so also, funny games. also there's like that one guy who just like pulls the ex and then just makes his deck ex and like 39 energy that's the other class oh yeah yeah i did that last time Oh, I used to do that when I was a kid all the time, yeah. (laughs) I think the kids balance that, though, now, because you have a Paul Mott hitting for 210, and the EX is having, like, roughly that amount of HP, too, right? Yeah, the kids are way better now. They have, like, Ultra Balls and Supporters and stuff. Okay, okay, so maybe that's not a viable strat anymore. No, definitely not. I always recommend (laughs) pre-releases as a good uh, entry point for, for new people to come into the game and start, like, just getting a grasp for it. They get to crack packs, they get to play the game. So every time, like, all of my friends, they know I play Pokemon, right? So whenever we talk about it, whenever the conversation comes up, I'm like, hey, uh, just try pre-release. You get to crack some packs. You get to like just play for fun. Not, nothing's on the line. Uh, so just enjoy yourself. And then when they try it out, they have an amazing time. So Yeah, man. I can't wait to turn on my TV next week and see Simon on my TV advertising pre-releases <laughs> to people for, on behalf of Pokemon. Hire this man. Please, Hell somebody. yeah. Please. Okay, well, let's move on. I, I, as much as I do love pre-releases, we'll uh, we'll talk about things people actually want to hear. Um, so let's start with you, Karen. Um, obviously, going into this weekend, the the meta has been quite defined for a little while now, and what we're, what we've been looking at is the kind of the same conjunction of decks over and over. But with e- each week comes a new winner, and with each winner comes new counters and counters to the counters and all that jazz. So, what was your breakdown of of Leal and and what did maybe surprised you? What kind of stood out to you? uh to be honest i don't think lil was like surprising at all like we literally saw what we've been seeing the whole format like lost box gets a good conversion and then the rest of the decks stick around the same I, um i think gardevoir is the next i'm just looking here gardevoir is the next most popular deck at 12 percent conversion then tim powell is actually third so uh it just feels like the same as we've seen all all format like the meta is just diverse we've seen like some of the top decks converting a better clip mainly lost box and uh lugia so just going into Toronto, I think it's going to be a similar similar thing. Like the meta is going to be a bunch of decks at ten to fifteen percent, and then I do think like Lost Zone is going to convert again at a good clip. Yeah, Simon, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I completely agree with uh, what Kieran said. On the flip side, I think, or I'm hoping for 
because the fact that this is the last tournament in this format, I'm hoping everyone's going to whip out their secret decks or like potentially the 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 rogue deck that they've been working on for the last few months or however long. But if you're not doing that, I think it's just going to be roughly the same. It's it's hard to really break a format at this point when it's been uh played out for the last several months. Yeah, and, and, and historically, historically speaking, and I mean, you two are the best ones to bounce this idea off of. The only people maybe who would understand what I'm trying to talk about here. But historically, Toronto regionals and like Toronto big events have had a fair amount of like random rogue decks pop up. Like generally, have there's we, always wait. like a couple. I mean, I mean, yeah, sure. Last year, yeah, yeah, Piper won. We had a control. That's true. Then the regional for that, like Night March won. We had one year, like someone won with like Lorantis or something. So you are right, actually. Like random stuff is winning. So there's always random stuff, and I, and I mean, I brought a jank box a couple times to Toronto too, and did did decently well with it. Um, like it's just it feels like a lot of the time we have just so many like, and I mean we talk about this all the time, but we have so many good players in this area that people are always trying to become more innovative and, and kind of get that step up on each other not in a toxic way just more in a, in a competitive way and, it, and sometimes yeah, you end up seeing like the best of, of that kind of that kind of mentality you see a lot of different decks a lot of different things so i have high hopes man as much as we're playing in this and i don't want to be victimized by this i'm hoping we see something cool come out of this weekend yeah for sure uh i mean i i don't know like how much the thing the problem is when you have a very diverse meta game it's very hard to come up with counters because normally when we see successful counter decks like for example piper one of the controls like the meta is very centralized like there's maybe three or four big decks but like when there's like six or seven viable decks you could be hitting every round it's like very hard to counter them all so i'm a little pessimistic that we're going to see something crazy but if we do see something cool like i think it'll just be like an innovation on like an already defined meta deck I think with the with like each passing tournament, people are slowly getting, uh, I, I wouldn't say fed up, but like they're getting uh, tired of this format, and they're slowly switching over to like rogue decks. For example, I think Lil, there were two Snorlax control decks with Pidgeot EX. There were mm-hmm. a few of those, and then I remember seeing um, a Zorark toolbox deck in Sacramento, I think. Yep. You know. Yeah, and there's a Bennett in Lil. Oh, as well. Bennett as well. Yes, Bennett Gardevoir. Yeah. I heard about that as well. So, slowly things are popping up, and you know, like people like me, when we get tired of a format, we start experimenting with you know, uh, different types of uh, rogue decks, and you know, it just takes one of these little rogue decks to like just inspire me to like cook something up in the kitchen. Yeah, bro. There's a Arceus Pikachu V or a Flying Pikachu V Max as well in Lil that day too. There's there's a lot of like just random stuff going around, but it goes to show how like Kieran said like this this meta is really really diverse. Um, coming out of two consecutive years, I think it was 2021, 2022, where we had like S tier decks most of the year, with each release, which each uh, sorry expansion, coming out with a new S tier deck. It's kind of a breath of fresh air to have this kind of diversity. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, I think like. We thought for a while, maybe, like, we had, like, an S-tier deck and, like, Gardevoir and stuff, and then, like, kind of, like, it's kind of fallen off a little bit to, like, being balanced just by, like, time constraints, but I do think it's cool that, like, whatever deck you like and you bring it to a tournament, like, you have a really great chance of doing well, which is always fun for, for Pokemon. Oh, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, Especially when they release like cards like Charizard, where it's potentially your favorite Pokemon as well, so imagine yep. playing your favorite Pokemon to a, a, a large event like a Regionals and doing well with it. It just, I think it just trigger some like a emotional happiness inside of you something like that were to happen it beats playing toad bats mirrors for nine rounds 
Yeah, it definitely does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not sure how many people had Seismitoad as their favorite Pokemon before Quaking Punch. It might be after, though. Yeah, actually, you might be right. I think it's my least favorite after. <laughs> the opposite effect on me. Like, I don't want to see this thing ever again, man. What the hell is this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was actually I was never a Chen Pao fan, like of the Pokemon itself, until we we started playing this deck. And now I think I'm a I love Chen Pao a lot. It might be on my like yeah, top ten too. Pokemon list. Yeah, it's it's really funny, like <laughs> how the card game does that. Like for example, like Clink Clang is a card a Pokemon I thought was like super lame, and then like after like playing the deck, I'm like, oh, this is my favorite Pokemon now. So Chen Pao, same thing. Uh, Aromatist, same thing. Like. It's just cool, I think, how the card game kind of takes these Pokemon that are, like, objectively kind of lame and not that cool and, like, makes them, like, a lot of people's favorites. And a lot of people don't even know some of these Pokemon exist. Like, there are a lot of people who, like, when Comfy came out, they're like, what the hell is Comfy? What is this? Yeah, if you don't play the games, there's, like, no way you would know what half these cards are. Yeah, and it's, like, a random, like, one Evo Pokemon that you, like, catch in a cave. So, like, there's a good (laughs) chance you, like, never see this thing, like, ever. So no, that's that's definitely a that's definitely a good point. I think it kind of changes your outlook on on what you like and what you may not like. But um, yeah, yeah, I think I, I agree with you guys in the sense that I think people are kind of getting to that point in the in the rotation cycle of sets here, where we've had this around for a little while. It's it's kind of time to uh, it's winding down. This is our last major tournament before we rotate over, and the last major tournament really for a month now. Um, but people are gonna really find some ways to innovate current decks i think and and we saw we saw a gudra on top eight of leal as well along with a, a fusion mew winning the tournament so like mm-hmm. there's still advances being made slowly yeah i think uh like for example like i don't think gudra is like that good of a deck but like i just think like the meta is in a spot where it's like if you just ride the wave of like good matchups because you get paired against good stuff like any deck is having potential so like i wouldn't be surprised if we see decks like gudra like uh like random arc piles doing well so yeah, like I think this tournament's definitely like the top eight had like seven different decks in Lil. Like I wouldn't be surprised if Toronto had like again like six or seven different decks. Yeah, and uh, like I mean like speaking to that a little bit. So moving into this weekend, so you see a deck like Fusion Mew winning the tournament. How does that kind of knee jerk people off or onto certain decks, or do you think it has that big of an effect at all? We'll, we start with Simon. I don't think it'll have that big of an effect. Well, oh, or we yeah, start go with ahead, you. Simon. Whatever you want. Okay, I'll start. Podcast, I'll start, I'll start. <laughs> I mean, like this happens all the time. Like Mew like performs, then everyone's like, "Oh, we're gonna put Spiritomb in our deck," and then like people don't play Mew because they think Spiritomb's gonna be in their deck. Like no one puts Spiritomb in their deck. Um, so I think people just inherently are like, "Oh, Mew did well," so then people are gonna put Spiritomb, so I don't have to put Spiritomb, and Mew players are gonna be scared off. So I don't know. I don't think it'll have that big of an effect. Um, and I just think the rest of the top eight was like pretty pedestrian, so I don't think it's gonna like influence too much simon what do you think yeah i don't really look into the the results too much um i think i believe this list was very similar to um a list that was played at worlds or no sorry maybe that was the top eight list one of the top eight lists for uh for lil was uh was the exact 60 card list that they played for at worlds and they did like they made top sixteen at worlds with the exact same list. So I wouldn't look too much into the results. I think it's more about the individual skill of the player, finding a deck that they're comfortable with, and just uh you know finding the intricacies, knowing each matchup. So once you're really comfortable with the a certain deck, uh you you will be able to maneuver your way through a large tournament like regionals. 
uh, squeezing out like close victories versus like you know these tough matchups even if they like put in a hard counter such as like Spiritomb or uh, Drapion yeah for me personally like, Spiritomb was in my deck prior to this result um, I just think when you play one card to auto an entire deck you do it but then that being said like this this deck that finished first year the first and ninth list were the exact same this is not that bad in the tomb you can play the game in the tomb and, and honestly like with ice q lost city you're chilling you're, you're fine uh the one that like where you're terrified is like that sixth place list that was just dt mu that like basically gets mm-hmm. autoed by tomb um and if that yeah. was like the uh the predominant archetype right now of mu which i think it still is but it's definitely closer to 50 50 if that was a predominant archetype, I think it's Tomb is a no-brainer. But since there's, like, Fusion Muse popping in, popping out, and, and there's arguments to how effective Tomb is in Telugia, like, with shutting off fish and all that stuff. Um, but you got to decide, because with how tight lists are right now, like, you got to decide, is that one spot worth it? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple decks that use Tomb well. Like, I think Gardevoir uses Tomb well, since it also is, like, a soft, um, what's it called? counter for alone bull picks and like you also play fog crystal um i think we saw like i think the lost zone deck played it which i wasn't crazy about because that deck normally wants to use most of its bench spaces um i think i saw i thought it was really cool was the giratina deck played spirit tomb i thought that made a lot of sense one of your worst matchups with giratina is the lugia mm-hmm. and the spirit tomb shuts off the weirder so i thought that was actually like a cool uh application for spirit tomb so I guess, yeah, like, try and figure out if your deck, like, if you're going to put a tech card in, I think we talked about this last week, too, is, like, does it have utility more than just countering Mew? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I would look for. I look at Spirit Tube now also as, like, essentially uh, a soft counter to, to Lugia as well, right? So not only looking at it just from a Mew standpoint, also, like, a combination of do I have a rough Mew and a rough Lugia matchup? If I do, if I put in a Spirit Tube, it'll uh, sway the Mew matchup more in my favor, and slightly sway the Lugia matchup in my favor. So if you're playing a deck that, you know, kinda has a rough matchup versus those two, like that two might benefit and you might look at it differently than just strictly a, a Mew counter. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like as much as it is a liability if you do start it, so if you start it in Lost Zone Mirror, say you're playing it in Lost Zone, if you start in Lost Zone Mirror, you're already at a disadvantage. But it is nothing like the liability that Drapion is. So I think Tomb being Tomb and being a one prizer, 60 health, whatever, you lose it, you lose it. It is what it is. You start it, you start it. It is what it is. You can deal with it. It has an attack that bounces back to the hand as well. I think it's definitely a bit easier of a decision now on the include on the inclusion of it or not including it um, than Drapion was. Because Drapion, you think, okay, I'm starting this V Pokemon. It has two retreat. It sucks into everything but Mew. Um, is this worth it? Where I think this, if if I'm me going to Toronto, um, I think I'm still playing Tomb. If I'm playing a deck that, I don't know, let's let's say let's use Yardivore for example, it's a tight tight list. If you're able to make room for for Spirit Tomb, I think you do it. Um, obviously your deck's consistency always comes first when it comes to tacking and over tacking, and I've been the victim of this so far this season where both decks I played to majors were just over tacked, and they didn't do what the base function of the deck was supposed to do, and I ended up not even getting to a point where I could use the techs. So I think that's important to find that balance as well, where you're not sacrificing your deck's main core strategy to to include these Ren techs, but if you can splash one of Tomb, you got some space, I, I say do it, especially going into this weekend where Mew is... Uh, Mew is... It just won the last tournament, and, and it is a uh, readily available League Battle deck, which is terrifying, so... 
Yeah, I think just another call out I want to say is like when you're analyzing like a meta or results from a tournament, like don't hard focus on what made top eight. Because uh, like honestly, like who makes top eight is kind of random. Like one of those players like draws poorly and they're winning it. It's like a different deck in there. Like I normally just look at the day two meta share. So I think that's a better representation of, of what's happening. So uh, like Mew actually did really well because it only had it had six in day two, which is around eight percent, and then like obviously had three in the top sixteen. So. Um, yeah, like, I think Mew won, so, like, obviously it's on people's radar, but, like, I think it's important to note that it was only, like, the seventh most popular deck in day two. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's, uh, a lot of stock is being put into what top eights and what doesn't top eight, and like you said, the difference between that is a brick and a win and in. So, it's not, it's not a, 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 like, obviously, you work your ass off to get to top eight, and, and it's a huge representation of your skill as a player and, and your deck choice and all that, but it's not everything. I mean, there's, there's kind of more to it than, than just that, and even, like, even if you scroll down, you're on Limitless, you scroll down to the 25th place, and you see that Bennett deck. That was one win away from being in the top eight. And if that wins, and that's in the top eight, it's there's a lot more radio waves going around about that deck. Um, but like Kieran exactly. said, I think you can put more stock into everything and less into top eight as well. Exactly. That Bennett deck, I, mean, I don't know if you guys watched the stream game, but it was pretty cool. Like, I can see why it's decent. Like, I can see in theory which matchups it, like, destroys. Um... And like what's called one of my friends, like Liam Halbert, he loves playing Bennett EX. So that, that's like what Simon's saying, right? Before like people's like pet decks, like they like bring him out at the end. So yeah, I think it was cool. Yeah, like I'm looking at it now. I'm trying. I'm trying to kind of wrap my head around how this deck operates. You saw it on stream. How did? How exactly does this deck operate? Well, yeah, like you played Lost Box on stream, which is one of the decks good matchups oh, okay. because like basically what happens with Lost Box is like once you get rid of the cram, like they don't have good attackers, like. Um, they can try and attack you with like Dragonite or Raikou, but you can just like boss around it. Like all their switching cards are dead and they have no energy recovery once they're gone. Yeah. Uh, so you actually basically just get something stuck and then you just use um, Radiant Alakazam to keep moving the damage around. And then he played like Cheryl. So basically like, he like goes between like two Bennett's and then he Cheryl's them. And then he plays the other Bennett that when you lost on it, you get a supporter back. <laughs> so basically just like, like insane healing. And then yeah, you just like get your opponent stuck. Yeah. You can even mill them if you want. So I thought it was yeah, cool. I think you trap them with uh, the Calamitous Wasteland, the one that adds a, yeah. a retreat cost to non-fighting basic Pokemon. So I think part of the strategy is to like boss out something that doesn't attack and just uh, hit it for 30, spread the damage of Alakazam, and then eventually you'll just take off six prizes. That's sick, yeah. dude. I see a Shadow Rider Calyrex near too, so you auto DT Mew, you auto... like. I'm sure there's another. Yeah, that's for Lugia too. Because yeah. if you uh, if you put Path into playing as Lugia, they actually cannot play. I don't even think. Yeah, they can't attack or anything. So uh, they'd have to I'm actually boss around it and pray. I guess he lost you. Yeah, let me, I'm just gonna look real quick where he lost you because I think it might like yeah Lugia like if Lugia if you don't get that Calyrex like you lose. Um, if you where the matchups are there. But I think they can still attack with the, like, they can manually charge up a Pokemon and attack, right? Say, for example, like, uh, a Snorlax and Thumping Snore. So I don't know how if... Well, no, no, no they can't. They can't, because Shadow Rider's effect oh, it's is... Oh, it's Special um, Energies and Stadiums. Special <laughs> Energies and Stadium get okay, never mind. <laughs> so... <laughs> I thought it was just Stadiums. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, because it works against DTE Mute. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> okay, so this guy played his first four rounds against Charizard. He went three and one, so he's one loss against Charizard. He tied a Maridon, which that matchup does seem kind of like suspect. Uh, he tied a Lost Wings. He or United, United Wings. Wings or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he lost to like a normal Gardevoir, which I think makes sense to me because they just out trade you. 
And he tied a Mew and lost to Lugia. So. Hey, uh, Bennett for Toronto. Interesting. I'm just saying. Yeah, Bennett for Toronto. I'm just saying. Yeah, just hit this, the right matchups. This is interesting, it. man. This deck is actually really interesting. And I'm actually so glad I didn't see this like three days ago because I actually would have like properly tested this and considered this. <laughs> It's not too late. Uh, <laughs> it is. It I, it has to be too late. <laughs> Three days. Uh, th- the interesting thing to me in here is the uh, two guardy axes, because you're only playing six psychics. Yeah, he he just does it so he can like retreat back and forth, and then like, uh, if he he does attack with guard of our X sometimes at the end. Yeah. Because you do need to take prizes, so you take out threats. Uh, so that's why you put him. Yeah, in. Yeah, I guess your damage cap's a lot higher too. And he also uses refinement fairly. It's like his drawing. Yeah, poltergeist is also really good in that scenario. It is very good. Yeah. I, oh yeah, I should have mentioned that too. Because like when you just like spam the item lock, your opponent's hand eventually just becomes like a bunch of trainers. Yeah. Because poltergeist also affects like um, supporters and like stadiums, all that. So mm. you just like one shot everything. So yeah, it's cool. Um, maybe you can explore it more next format too, uh, or maybe even next season play. Maybe weekend, even so. in three days. <laughs> yeah, it's not too late, man. The other interesting thing I saw was uh, the stall with the Pidgeot. Yeah, Snorlax stall? Yeah. I don't know, I've, like, tried messing around with Snorlax stall. The deck is actually just, like, such a brick. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, like, hard to set up. Um, and, like, you also, like, have to use Rotom to, like, set up. So, like, you're just, like, constantly putting a two-prizer into play. Yeah. And, like, Lawson plays, like, a million Switch cards. Um, well... I don't know. Like, it's it's cute, but... I think it's a solid deck if you can overcome the 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 setting up issue, right? Like against yeah. the decks like Gardevoir, right? Once you once they bench that Greninja or the that uh, Manaphy, or if they start with it, for example, uh, and you have a Snorlax active, like you just unless they play Penny or an Escape Rope or another Switch card, you just instantly win the game, right? Because you're very likely starting with a Snorlax. You can just pass the game and then eventually they'll deck out, right? So you have the opportunity to just cheese somebody out of the game right from the get go. Especially if they don't know what yeah. they're getting themselves into. Yeah, I, I can see that. I think it's actually like a deck for to revisit like next format because it's getting Countercatcher, which is like such a massive card to add to this deck. Yeah. Because uh, right now they play Cross Switcher and like Boss, but like yeah, if you just have it on an item, like if I can use like Misfortune Sisters or Penny like in conjunction with a Gust, like that's super good. Um, they also played Erica's Invitation, which is yeah. like tailor made for this deck. So like Simon's saying, like you face a Gardevoir, like they don't bench Greninja. Like if you ever snipe that out of their hand, like the game is down on the spot. So mm-hmm. I could see why this deck has potential. Um, I just don't think it's consistent enough or has enough good matchups where you can like get all the way through a tournament with it. Yeah, this is scary hours after Countercatcher comes out. Oh man, I'm terrified. That is gonna be a good deck for sure. And I think I think once Countercatcher comes out, obviously the meta's gonna change with the new release. But once that card comes out, I think a lot of different decks get a lot better. Um, one being Tina, if it survives Iron Hands, which is kind of exciting. Yeah, decks are going to be built differently moving forward. That's that's the great part about it. It's not just like new cards are coming in, but like with Iron, with the introduction of cards like Iron Hands, you have to play and you have to play the uh, your deck. You have to build your decks completely differently. You have to watch out for iron hands taking multiple prizes against your small hp pokemon so that's more of an incentive to not play small hp pokemon right like you might see giratina with no confis or something along those lines right like who knows yeah that's something that we'll we'll look into like once we get to that time yeah i mean paradox i know we're not supposed to talk about but like paradox rift like it's such a cool set there's so many cool cards like not to sound like jake gearhart but i actually think if iron hands like didn't exist like 
it would be like insane. I'm a, I'm a little scared for Iron Hands. I'm not gonna lie. I don't think it's like the healthiest game design to have a card do that. But anyways, we can talk about that later. Hey, you're not like banned from talking about it. You can talk about it if you want. <laughs> you're not, I'm not censored. <laughs> I, mean, I don't want the viewers thinking I'm censoring you, bro. <laughs> all right, I'm not getting censored. Okay. I, I just think it's like bad game design. Like I just hate cards that accelerate the game. Like. Like, you get more skill-based games and more unique games when there's, like, longer drawn-out games, like, more turns played, more decisions to be made. Iron Hands just, like, makes the game go faster. And it also just, like, limits... If the card does end up being good, it just, like, limits what can be good. Like, we went through, like, such a long phase of, like, Pokemon where, like, only basics were good because, like, the small Pokemon couldn't keep up. And, like, we saw, like, when ADP existed, like, cards that take extra prizes just completely push single prizes out yep. of it. So, like, even though it takes four energy and, like, you need to power this thing up, like, I just think it's just, like, I don't understand why this card needs to exist. Like, I think, like, the payoff for, like, taking multiple prize cards should be, like, way more difficult than, than what it is for Iron Hands. And this is a really interesting conversation to have. And I, and I think, yeah, it's probably a conversation when we have a little bit more time. But I think, and, and my opinion with, with the whole Iron Hands thing, and my opinion with even, like, Plasma Lugia when it came out, was I think this is, like, a, a bigger game state kind of issue, kind of fix here. We talk a lot at tournaments about how these are some of the highest tie rates we've seen, uh, just in general. And it has nothing to do with slow play or anything. It's just the way the format goes. There's a lot of single prizers, a lot of um, grindy games go down to the wire. Entire decks sometimes are, are vetoed just because of best of 350. And uh, we've talked extensively on this podcast as well about, about Gardevoir and its struggles within that time frame. And I think the, the tie rate and just the way that tournaments are kind of going now I feel like it may be a larger game design thing with TPCI where they're saying, hey, like, we need to kind of pick up these games. And I think that may be part of why you're seeing some huge basics come out with, with attacks like that. Obviously, this, is, this isn't a conspiracy podcast of any sort, but I do think that there's something bigger going on here. I don't think they just, like, woke up and they're like, hey, I want to break the game. I can see that, but, like, also, like, the huge trend has been lately, like, comebacks. So, like, they print, like, Iono, Reverse Energy, Counter Catcher. Yeah. So, I don't know. It just seems like, like, they, I don't know, they're just, like, going against what they said their game philosophy is, or like, game design. Like, I understand wanting to speed the game up. That is what they did, like, when Black and White came out and they, like, changed the rules so, like, you could do everything going first. But we've seen that, like, the game, like, quality, like, deteriorates when you did that. Like, we went from, like, 2010, which is, like, one of everyone's favorite formats, like, a really bad, in my opinion, like era for Pokemon. So I just wish they're like more careful with these things. Like I hope they like tested like Iron Hands a lot and like they don't think it's going to break the format or anything, but I'm just being a little pessimistic that I think it might choke hold a lot of like cool decks out like while it's legal. Well, I got to ask, what's the difference would you say between Iron Hands EX now and for example, Stoutland V back when uh, Powerful Energy was in the format with, uh, with Lugia? Because they both have the same uh, attack, essentially, right? They both had the same rough damage cap. They could both... Like, kind of. Sorry. Yeah. But, I mean, like, Stoutland is, like, okay, it's base is 40 damage. So, if you're not playing it in Lugia, like, the other decks, like, just didn't have a way to, like, up its damage. So, like, uh, I'm trying to think what other decks accelerate. Like, if you play Lost Zone, for example, like, yeah, you can accelerate with Mirage Gate. But, like, I'm doing 40 damage, which is, like, nothing. It was also, like, even with powerful energy, like, you're maxing out at, like, 120. And, like, Iron Hands just, like, starts there. So I just think it's, like, Iron Hand is, like, very splashable, like, into multiple decks. Uh, and it's, like, base attack is just, like, higher. So it's just, like, easier to use. And I think the thing with Stoutland as well, bro, is that, like, Stoutland was never really meant to be good. 
like that card when that card came out versus when Lugia V Star came out were like just totally different times. And I think sometimes, and obviously, this is a whole other conversation, but I think sometimes with with game makers and you look at like different card games and stuff and how they kind of interact with new sets, I think sometimes mistakes are made. And I'm not saying Stoutland V plus Lugia V Star plus Archaeops plus Powerful Energy was a mistake, but I definitely think that. I don't, I'm not sure that card was ever really designed to be as good as it was. Whereas this Hariyama thing, what's it called? Iron Hands. Iron this, Hands. This Iron Hands, yeah. yeah. Our boy. Um, he's coming out in, in, a, in a position to succeed instantly. And I think that's where the difference is. I think now like it's coming out kind of with a purpose, whereas Stoutland V was like, okay, this is a 50-cent bulk V, and then eventually just randomly got good. I think people are underestimating how difficult it is to get one lightning and three colorless energies uh, with like you know, for example, like a boss effect, or you know, like against mm-hmm. a deck that's that gets completely run over by uh, by Iron Hands, right? So I think moving forward with deck building, you'd have to have a counter for uh, Iron Hands if your deck is vulnerable to it, right? Say for example, Lost Box. If you're if you're playing Lost Box and you know they're playing Iron Hands, you better have a counter ready, uh, ready to counter it when it comes out, right? Uh, something similar in the past was um when Stutland uh. Yeah, when Stalin B was in the format, that was like really popular in Lugia. I used to play a lot of uh, Lost Box Rayquaza, right? The matchup would always end up being whenever they Stoutland, you have to have your Amazing Ray ready to knock it out. And uh, you have to get it off like potentially like a Marnie or a Judge, right? So you have to be, you have to prep your deck for that moment. And then if you don't, if you're not ready for that, you instantly lose the game. Yes, but at the same time, I had to mentally and physically prepare my deck to like be ready to counter that exact strategy because that was um the way Lugia would take matchups off off of Lost Box Ray. Right. Yeah. So I think it's the meta's gonna evolve to something along those lines where you have to you have to be ready for it. You have to acknowledge that it's in the format. And if you want to play something that's vulnerable to it, you you have to be able to counter it instantly or else and, just and I also I also like absolutely agree with you in what you're saying with I think people are underestimating how hard it is to pull that attack off. It's not easy. And, and it's not going to be nearly as splashable as I think people think. A good example of this, and, and like this is something that you guys would remember as well, is when Plasma Lugia came out. The Plasma Colorless Lugia EX that did 120 for four energies, four colorless, and took an extra prize. People were like, damn, this is so broken. Like, Because Colrus Machine also existed, this item card that let you search for a colorless energy and attach it, a plasma energy. Um, but like it never, I don't want to say it didn't live up to the hype, but it wasn't as good as people thought it would be. It was definitely good, but it wasn't insane. Yeah, it never reached tier one. Yeah, yeah. It never reached tier one, and I and I think Iron Hands is in a better spot to reach tier one than Lugia was. But that's I think an example of how like we see things, and sometimes our knee jerk reactions like this is insane. Like the moment you see take another prize, you're like this is insane. But in practice, it might be a little bit harder than we think. Yeah, I just think I think Lugia was like you had to build the deck around it as like the main focus. Or I just like I think just think with Iron Hands, like the reason people are excited is like it's like a splashable card almost. Like even like if you want, like Lugia can play Iron Hands. So Is anybody actually excited for Iron Hands? Like <laughs> Chem Pao players, maybe? I'm a Chem Pao player and I'm not really that excited for Iron Hands, like <laughs> But it shifts the entire way that decks are built, right? So like if Lugia yeah. were to play it, they would have to find a way to search for basic lighting energies because they couldn't play luminous energy. Chem- well they can play that new card. Yeah, but that's gonna which is good because yeah. it discards archaeos the professor's letter yeah, thing great yeah yeah i think it's pretty good that card's in chen pao you'd have to start playing lightning energies and ways to find those energies right so it shifts yeah. 
the shades of Black Hurum I'm getting right now, and just like the vibes <laughs> of, of Black Hurum Blastoise I'm getting right now is insane. Just like you, you just think of Superior Energy Retrieval, like with like like lightning and water energies, you're like, oh my god, here we go. <laughs> Yeah, but it's only hitting for 120. I don't think it's I don't think it's gonna be as effective as people are hyping it up to be. As Jake Gearhart is uh, hyping it up to be. That guy's scared. Yeah, it probably won't run the meta, but like it'll definitely be something you have to be cognizant of, like every tournament. Mm-hmm. Scary hours, bro. Scary hours. It is. It's um, good. Anyways, let, let's let's bring it back to get to Toronto. Um, so let's maybe talk about what like maybe everyone's top choices are for the weekend, like what you've been testing, what you've been liking a lot. So uh Emil, do you want to go first sure yeah um i was on tina for a long time uh last couple weeks ever since well peoria really because i sat at the last regional um yeah i've been on tina uh i i liked it for a long time i'm really comfortable with the deck but recently it just hasn't really been been hitting for me i don't know really what it is because i still see tina's doing well like but even like my testing partners I have a couple of testing partners that are also testing tina they're like this deck just does not feel good right now so uh, I don't really know where I'm do- going or what I'm doing, but I think it's going to involve a comfy. So that's that's what I'm looking at right now. I want to kind of slow the game down a little bit. My last couple of regionals were just uh, disasters, really. So I want to just go back to my roots and play a deck where I'm in control. I have the last say in, in what happens, and if I lose, it's on my own accord, as opposed to flipping tails on Mesagoza. So that's what I'm looking at, and I think Comfy's in a good spot right now. I, I definitely think lost some decks. We see at least one or two in top eight every event. I think I think I think it's just in a great spot. Yeah, I agree. The conversion seems to be like it outperforms. It's like day one play rate like all the time. So mm-hmm. definitely think if you're a good player, lost zone is definitely definitely good. Uh, Simon, what about yourself? Uh, myself for the past few weeks, uh, I've been playing in a bunch of challenges, and I've been uh, bringing an assortment of decks to all of these challenges, such as a uh, Arvinzard. Uh, White Lugia, um, Lost Tina. I've been just trying to like just evaluate you know these decks in competitive in a competitive environment just to see how they are. Um, I I was telling everyone if I were to have played in low regionals, I would have went with White Lugia. It's a it's a really solid deck. I think it has a really good Lost Box matchup, and I know um, the Toronto area they really love their Lost Boxes. So, um, if I were to pick a deck right now, it'd probably be White Lugia, but similar to you, I'm a big Chen Pao fan, and in the bottom of my heart, there's a soft spot for it, so I might consider that as well, just to go with a bang before the next set comes out. Yeah, I think you and I were talking before, we literally are the exact same, like, my heart's telling me to play Chen Pao, and my head's telling me to play Colorless Lugia, <laughs> just because, like, <laughs> I think Colorless Lugia just, it has the most solid matchup spread like you have a couple of bad matchups but like overall like you're pretty like fine with no matter what you play against and i just think having a good lost box matchup like if you plan to go deep in the tournament we do see that lost boxes tend to float towards the top tables so i just think like lugia has like a if you can get up there like it just it feels like it's in a position to farm but i do mm-hmm. like the chen pao like you literally get like 20 to 25 percent of your games are like free wins like my opponent flips over a Ralts a Charmander, like an Arceus, I'm just like, okay, I, I, I should win this round, which is very appealing for, for Chen Pao. Yeah. The thing that puts me off Chen Pao are sometimes you have those completely unplayable hands where you have like yeah. three energies, a super rod, a superior, and there's literally nothing you can do. It's just draw a pass. And I feel like it happens a little bit more often with Chen Pao than other decks. 
So that would be the only reason why I wouldn't play Chin Pao. So I've been I've been tinkering around with trying to make it more consistent, such as adding, you know, Aluminium. It can like attack and bounce your, itself back to the deck, so you could take that liability off in certain matchups. Um, because it, it essentially turns every Ultra Ball into an Irida as well, and that's all you need like turn one really, just to get an Irida, get your VIPs out, and play the game really, because it usually loses to itself. Every other matchup, yep. like you can essentially play, and you have a, uh, you don't, you wouldn't necessarily have like a, a matchup worse than like sixty forty, right? So just as long 100. as you play, like that's 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 the part that I wanted to get through with the deck. Yeah, and like, I don't know if if someone totally random was listening to our podcast, like who didn't know anything about Pokemon at all, maybe our friends, our family, they and they listen to the first like four episodes, they would think Chen Pao is like S tier, S tier, S tier, because that's uh. We have a lot of enjoyers on this podcast. That's not a bad thing. Yeah. But we are. Um, I think we always call out though that it's like kind of bricky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like hand in hand. You gotta, you gotta keep it level, right? But we're like, uh, we're we're true epitome of Western media right now. It's just Chen Pao propaganda everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the deck just is fun. Like everyone who plays it, like loves like shivery chill, fun ability, like Pokestop, very fun when you're hitting like three items, like drawing cards with Bibril, very fun. Very. And fun. I do think the deck. <laughs> The deck is like super challenging. Like the, the amount of sequencing that happens with the deck is like insane. Yep. Like you, you need to maximize your odds like like every game. Like I've had a couple coaching sessions like the past couple of weeks with people who want to play Chen Pao. And I literally just like pull up like VODs of Chen Pao to regionals. And I'm like, okay, I'm like our goal this turn is like to knock out like a Mu V Max. I'm like, how do we get there? And there's like literally like six different things we have to get. And it's like it's just crazy how many things like the order you play Ultra Ball, the order you play Irida, when the concealed cards. It just like increases or decreases your odds of getting there so much. So Yeah. Yeah. It is just it's a fun it's a rewarding deck and it's a fun deck. So I, I just really enjoy it. And I have no beef with it. the with the fact that we have a bunch of enjoyers on this podcast. No beef. <laughs> because it's a it's a skill intensive deck. It's challenging. It's fun. The only reason I don't play it, to be totally honest with you, is that I don't have alt arts and I think that's the only art that's mm. acceptable. So <laughs> That is fair. I've been tempted. Like, I was at Banana today, like Banana Games, uh, Shadow Banana Games. Uh, they had the Altar Chem Pals, but they're like $55. I was like, ah, uh, do I buy them? They've come but down I, a I little bit. Um, I found some at uh, Peoria for 22 USD each. Okay. Yeah. That's, actually oh, that's pretty really good. good. Yeah. yeah. I should have uh, bought those, bro. Why didn't you tell me? Bro, I didn't know you were interested. I thought you had your uh, played ones. You're just happy. No, I didn't. I just used the normal ones. Yeah. <laughs> this is a perfect segue, though, to uh, take a second to just shout out our sponsor, uh, Banana Games. Great spot. Wax, singles, tournaments, anything you need. Uh, shop owners, all the employees, all great people. ton of plushies. I would go as far as to say they have the best selection in the GTA. Um, I may or may not be endorsed to say that, but I truly do believe it. Um, Banana Games is the spot. Located in downtown Toronto. If you ever need anything, that is the spot to be um, yeah, and if you come for regionals early, like if you come on Thursday night or Friday during the day, like check them out. Absolutely. Um, is, was there anything else you guys wanted to go over before we uh, before we hop off? Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you guys over under three and a half Canadians in top eight this weekend. Ooh. Ooh. Do we have a point of reference? Do we ha- know how many Canadians made top eight last year? I think just me and Labella. So two last year. Okay, maybe the line should be two and a half. Because I do think the term will be majority American. Three and a half is crazy, bro. Yeah. Um, I have, I have over two and a half. Over two and a half. I have over two and a half. I think we're gonna get to three. Um, just because we have so much quality in this area, I think there is gonna be a a lot of a lot of good players there. Obviously, from both 
Canada states around the world. But I do think it is time we defend home turf, and I think three of us will take it personally. One of the three, like <laughs> so, someone in Toronto, will take it personally, and then they'll have two friends, and someone will win the tournament. Why can't it be yeah. us three? Exactly. Hey man, I'm, why I'm not? smashing the over on two and a half. Us three in top eight. Hey, and, and our yo, our <laughs> listeners too, bro. Let's hit eight. Let's go. <laughs> Let's hit eight. Yeah. Let's go. I'm over. I'm over two and a half as well. I, I want to say. Four. Half of it's gonna be uh, four. Yeah. Okay. Half of I like it. Over three Canadian. and a half. Yeah. Okay. What do you think? Then, uh, okay. I'm gonna say I'm gonna go with seven. I'm gonna go with four. I think we're gonna have a good showing. Okay. Uh, okay, and then follow up question: Who do you got? Give me like your player to win, and give me the deck you think is gonna win. Kieran Farrow on Chen Pao. Uh, that was gonna be my guess, so I love it. I'll, I'll support. <laughs> Okay, then I guess I, I was gonna say that too, but I gotta I gotta mix it up. Gotta get some diversity. I gotta make here. a real one too. Hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> yeah, so let's. Uh, yeah, so, who are some good Canadian players who are due here? I'm gonna go uh, with Rowan Stabenov. That was that was my pick. Right, Rowan. Rowan did really well in uh, what was it? Peoria top four with me, yep. and I think Rowan's a true prodigy of this game. So I, I really respect his play, and I think. I agree. Uh, it's been a while since he won. I know he won Hartford, but <laughs> that's, that's like a long that's a long ago. while ago. He needs he needs another victory. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I agree with you. Rowan, in my opinion, is the best player we have in, in Canada, so he'd be my pick. Uh, if he and if he plays me in Vmax, I guess I have to pick me in Vmax to win. Oh, back to back. Okay, we'll we do. A, uh, I'm, gonna, right I'm gonna do a test here. I'm gonna do a test here on on listener knowledge. Okay, Curtis Lyon's gonna come out of retirement and win. There is line. Definitely not. Zero percent. He's gonna fly here last second, not tell any of us, show up, and win. And if any of you know who that is, you're a real one. (laughs) You know what? No, no, no. You know what? You know what? You know what? Just, just for shades of Canadian Nats, I have Genesis winning. Genesis Pavoon. I like that. I like that. Yeah, yeah, I like Uh, that one. Genesis Pavoon Nationals runner up. Toronto Regionals with. uh, He's gonna play Arvinzard with Min Rarity cards. Specifically, yeah. yo. If anyone needs a tattoo, hit him up. He specializes in like Pokemon tattoos. Hey, if you win regionals, you should hit up that guy. Yeah, get a yeah. regionals tattoo. 100%. Shout him out <laughs> at Incognito. Yeah, on Instagram. Yep, at Incognito. I personally have a tattoo done by him. Yeah, no, he's sick. Like, uh, like we're not just saying he's our friend. He's actually amazing. So if you ever want a Pokemon tattoo, that is your guy. So much free plugs going on today. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right. So we'll wrap her up here. Um, thank you, everybody, for coming out and listening and, and sticking with us again. Um, as always, your support is much appreciated. We're hoping to see a lot of you out in uh, at a Toronto Regionals on Saturday. I believe check-in is on Friday. Uh, early check-in on Saturday as well. Um, and best of luck. Um, play what you feel comfortable with. I think those would be my, my wise words of wisdom there. Play what you feel comfortable with. Don't adapt to too much right now, especially since we've been in this meta for a little while now. Everybody kind of has their decks. They have what they know, what they're comfortable with, and and always go with your comfort pick, I think, especially when you're this far into a developed meta. Like Kieran said, you can play anything and do well with it. Yeah. Okay, that sounds like I'm playing Chen Pao then. Yeah. <laughs> <You're glad someone laughs> I'll do it if you do it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, thanks so much, Simon, for coming on as well, man. I hope you had a good time. Um, I'm sure the, yeah, the listeners had a good time listening to you as well. Uh, we'll, yeah. we'll do it again, oh, um also, before we sign off, now, I just wanted to say uh, a quick thing. If you're coming to Toronto, try and leave the area where the tournament is because it's disconnected from the rest of the city. Like Toronto is like such a great city. We have so many great places to visit. If anyone wants recommendations, please message me. I'm more than happy happy to help. Uh, but yeah, try not to limit yourself just to where the convention center is. Okay, now you can sign off, Anil. <laughs> 
Oh, honestly, that was a better sign off than what I had. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, get get out, get out, see the city a little bit. That's one of my biggest things as well as regionals. Is like, I love to go around and see the city, and I hate like just going to like a random place and not being able to really see anything. And Toronto's, I think, along with Vancouver and and LA this year as well. Those are all great destinations to kind of go out and see things. So go out, see the city. Hopefully, I think we're gonna have some good weather this weekend. It won't be too cold for everybody, but. Uh, like it's I said, thank really you so warm. much for coming in. Yeah, Simon, I don't know if you want to... You, do you have a sign-off, too? I think everyone has a sign-off today. Go ahead, Simon. Oh, no, I don't really have a sign-off. But uh, I really appreciate you guys uh, inviting me on to join with your podcast today. Uh, I enjoy all the stuff you guys have been doing. Kieran, keep up the great job with your uh, YouTube channel as well. Really, oh, really top-tier quality content there. So appreciate what you guys do. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you, man. Kieran bought a mic setup, too. He's got a. He's telling me he got a... A bunch of stuff now, so he's he's professional. Man. Our boys are professional. I got the uh, the arm stand. Yeah, I've been. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Like, I need to upgrade my audio for my YouTube videos and for this <laughs> podcast. So we, we we invested. It's uh, yo, it's tax refundable. So <sighs> yeah, we love to hear. It. We love to hear. <laughs> I had to buy it. <laughs> All right, sweet man. Thank, thanks, thanks you guys for being on. As always, uh, thanks everyone for being here. We'll uh, we'll see you next week. Peace.